Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. AI may be the major buzzword of 2023, but iLearning Engines has been working on AI tools since 2010. Now it hopes to use a SPAC transaction to supersize its platform. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I speak with iLearning CEO Harish Chidambaran and Matt Safai, Chairman and CEO of Arrowroot Acquisition Corp. The two announced a $1.4 billion deal in April. Harish explains how the company developed a profitable AI platform with very little outside funding through the years, and how SPAC cash and public share capital can accelerate its growth through an M&A campaign. While Matt tells us how Arrowroot's long relationship with iLearning Engines gives it confidence in how the company will be valued in the public markets. Take a listen. So Harish, AI has come into the discussion recently as something very new hitting the market, but you founded iLearning Engines back in 2010. As you know, I mean, this is something that is not entirely new. You've been applying AI processes in your work for years. So can you talk us through a little bit that journey and how your tools have progressed through the years? No, reality, this has been a culmination of years of very hard work by a team that's really demonstrated tremendous leadership and expertise in what we believe is in building one of the largest and one of the leading enterprise AI uh, companies out there. We are an enterprise AI platform for learning and work automation and information intelligence. You know, the real inspiration for me in building this company came from a personal tragedy that happened several years ago. You know, my mom was diagnosed with uh, stage four breast cancer, and that was her first diagnosis. And both during her diagnosis and her treatment, you know, what I found was despite all the knowledge that was available inside health systems, much of the information was very siloed and not readily available to patients. And I really felt like health systems could do a better job in delivering vital content in real time and in context. Now, this is not a problem unique to health systems, but almost all organizations. You know, as we've gone into a data-driven world, data is in very siloed form that's not readily available. And a big challenge for every company is how do we extract the signal or the important information from all this data and deliver that to users? We really were built to help companies make better use of their organizational knowledge. You know, my background was I started out in Silicon Valley at Sun Microsystems as a microprocessor architect, and we were really leveraging AI principles at the time to vastly improve computing power. And that really underpinned my conclusion that AI was the key in achieving this vision for us. And we set out to build one of the leading AI platforms really built on very proprietary algorithms and, and data sets. And, you know, we invested over 400,000 hours of R&D. Now, if you go back to all these years ago, I think people sort of understood AI to be this futuristic technology with great potential. So when we were looking to sell, what was very important for us was to determine what are the right use cases where we can sell AI to customers. And really what we came up with, our strategy was, let's figure out ways where we can use AI to power important functions inside organizations. And we really started out with learning automation as the key area. So how can companies use AI to really deliver better learning and help really improve very mission critical outcomes. And so that was kind of the starting point. And since then, we really started to add newer and newer functions expanding. So migrating from learning automation to work automation and so on. So what, from our standpoint, some of the key things that we built in our platform was really uh, very proprietary algorithms and using very specialized data sets to build pre-trained models. So you know, today we're in 
12 industry verticals ranging from education, healthcare, oil and gas, and so on. And really, each of these places, when we go in, it is really our software plus unique pre-trained data models that we use in each of these verticals. You know, we're a 400 million plus ARR company today. We think this is AI has just really gotten significantly more interesting and exciting to companies. So the future is pretty strong. Great. And Matt, I'm just curious, based on the number of companies that Arrow Capital evaluates every year, how long have you been familiar with iLearning engines and, and how do you winnow down your search to this company? We've been working with the region team. We're in our second year now, really culminating the, the partnership and, and building that partnership and, and trust between the two and learning about the business. And we've seen it scale over time and, and hit their numbers and, and they do everything they say they're going to do, which is hard. <laughs> it's hard to find in this market. We've looked at a lot of businesses. Our, our overarching thesis was to find one to $3 billion business that was going to be the next $10 billion plus leader in its category. And we stayed disciplined through that. And so we did have to kiss a lot of frogs. The process took a long time, um, but, but we're happy where we are right now. Great. And could you walk us through what some of your typical customers are like and how do your services grow within their operations? We are in, like I said, in uh, 12 industry verticals today, ranging from uh, healthcare, education, oil and gas. Uh, we're selling to enterprises. So fundamentally, what we are doing is enterprises are using, using our platform to build an equivalent of their own chat GPT that they control and they operate. And that's really what we do. So we're really selling to medium to large enterprises. That is kind of our sweet spot in our go-to-market. And so with your existing operations already spread into India, the UAE, and Australia, how much does your software and its machine learning need to adjust for things like language across those diverse clients? So from our standpoint, you know, we are a, a, a global company with operations in all these areas. Our uh, customer base is predominantly English operating customers. That doesn't change the fact that we're, but that said, our platform supports multiple languages. I think the key to really understand what has really given us a pretty strong competitive mode from the beginning is we're focused on the enterprise where the reason and why we focused on proprietary technologies and proprietary data sets is to give companies the capability to build their own chat GPT that is powered by their own institutional knowledge. How can they take their own institutional knowledge, make better use of it? And to do so, you know, and really what we have ended up becoming as a platform is a company that can really help enterprises harness the full power of AI while managing the downside risks to it. And so I think that's been a critical part to how we have built our product and grow. Great. And, and drilling down into that, you know, a little bit more, just among those core client verticals that you have, you know, what are some of the examples of where you're seeing some of the highest effectiveness of your tools in terms of cost reductions or, or however companies are managing uh, or measuring rather uh, how effective these tools are for them? From our standpoint, like I said, we are in a wide range of industry verticals. You know, I'll just give you an example of a case study where just to get to illustrate the power of what we do. So we had an oil and gas a shipping company in the oil and gas industry that was recovering from an accident. And from their standpoint, they attributed that to employee errors. And their big thing was, how do I put a system in place to reduce employee errors? And I think this is really where we as a, a company deployed our platform. At its core, when we go into a company, we help them what we call create a company brain or a knowledge cloud. So we took all the our platform takes all the content from within the company around safety, maintenance, uh, different areas. And our AI platform can take a PDF document or a video 
and convert them into knowledge artifacts by inserting assessment, quizzes, surveys, etc. So using this platform, they were able to create hundreds of thousands of knowledge artifacts and drive the consumption of those artifacts into the various workflows. So we were able to really drive a consumption of company knowledge over 58 times. Some of the other things where there were a lot of leading indicators, you know, these accidents don't happen uh, randomly. So companies have a lot of uh, near misses. So we were able to reduce the number of near misses 30% year over year. And one of the key things of the company's market is, for example, zero time loss due to incidents. And that's something that they they sell. And so those are kind of the quantifiable metrics. So we go into any business unit, we ask business unit owners to identify their top KPIs and then use our knowledge cloud and our learning and work automation systems to improve those outcomes. And I think that's really what is critical and why this naturally helps us in upselling is we're able to go business unit to business unit, right? So we start out with business unit A, they are taking their KPIs, using our platform to improve those KPIs, and they're looking like a state-of-the-art business unit and there's a big competitive pressure for other business units to adopt the same thing. So this is really what's reflected in our very high high net dollar retention. You know, that's often range between 115 to 135. And the other part of this is we most of our contracts that we sign are multi-year contracts. You know, we are really used in very mission critical applications. And so I think that commitment from both sides is really critical to our customers. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned in your announcement materials that you plan to use this transaction uh, in part to engage in some M&A. And so are you looking to use those moves to to further expand geographically or or primarily to pick up talent and technology for the overall platform? From our standpoint today, we are a business at scale. You know, we are an enterprise AI business at scale. You know, we have over 4 million users powered by a platform and over a thousand end customers on our platform that contributes to our pretty strong revenue base. We have gotten there on the back of a very strong organic growth strategy. And we're also supplementing or complementing that with M&A. So part of what we really liked in this transaction with Arrowroot is their expertise in enterprise software and in M&A. So we see a tremendous opportunity to acquire companies in the with the idea of bolting them on. And I think I would say about 90 plus or a significant portion of our acquisitions are going to be around acquisitions to acquire new customers. I think a smaller portion of our acquisitions is going to be around adding new products. You know, we're a company that spends, uh, takes R&D very seriously. You know, we spend over 30% of our revenue on R&D. And so I think, so from our standpoint, our real focus on here is going to be on revenue growth and then continue to strengthen our product. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the reason we're excited about the, the transaction and to bring you know our expertise here as a, a growth equity firm, a private equity firm. We track 25,000 plus software companies globally and the platform of ILE really could strengthen or power a lot of these software and SaaS businesses in the background and make them better. And the platform is so broad, it's, it's really, it even goes to, we're drinking for a fire hose in terms of which use cases should we be selling, sector selling to, and also what M&A we should be doing. I think that's our challenge that we have. As a public company, we will be acquisitive and and, and we'll be fairly aggressive at it. Great. And, and sort of to that point, as far as I've been able to tell, it appears the company has developed itself through these years with very little outside capital to date. And so, I mean, could you comment on that and just sort of how has the company managed to do some of the things it's gotten accomplished so far with that efficiency? We have raised less than $2 million in equity. So we're incredibly capital efficient company. You know, we've, be, we've been a, a high growth software company, but a profitable high growth software company. So we focused on profits and becoming profitable uh, well before it became fashionable to become profitable. And so really on the back of this profitable high growth, we've been able to also get access to a lot of uh, debt and venture debt. So, you know, we've uh, had some pretty strong venture debt 
partners. So it's really on the back of less than $2 million in equity and debt, we've been able to drive our growth so far. I think it's really a testament to kind of the product that we built, our go-to-market strategy, and really the demand that we have been seeing in AI well before all the recent hype that we've seen. And I would add it's testament to the team and Harish for for being disciplined through a time when everybody was getting drunk over the excess of capital available, really that put a lot of companies in bad situations and created serious misalignments. You know, Harish and and team never did that. And and for us, looking at this as a long-term investment, just as a fiduciary of capital, let's say, um, we feel quite confident with the team. Right. And so you've also been a rule of 40 business for the past five years. So for those that are perhaps not as familiar with the term in the software space, can you just explain what that is and why it's so important? It's the way you run the business and it's the outcome of how you run the business. But, you know, the rule of 40 is the growth percentage of the business, top line, and then the percentage of the profit margins. So if it equates to 40% plus, it's a rule of 40 company. And it, it sounds simple. But when you look at it from the delivery product and the COGS, the gross margins, how much it costs to get new customers, say just going down the OPEX line, right? It's just a rule of 40 companies are these top tier businesses. And they've been a rule of 40 company for the past three years. And it goes back to the efficiency and fiduciary of capital that Haritian team have done and, and the discipline they have. And then given all the recent chatter around AI and potentially increasing regulations on it, is there anything out there that might perhaps impact the way that your programs operate in terms of how they source information? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think as an AI platform for the enterprise, uh, we've always taken the role of supervision and having an AI that not only allows a platform that not only allows companies to leverage the power of AI, but also manage any downside risk. No, we truly believe we are a disruptor in the space, largely behind our proprietary technology and our specialized data sets. And most importantly, most importantly, a strong supervision of our AI outputs. And this is really a big value add. You know, we've always kind of had what we call 80-20 rule, where the machine is doing 80% of the work and humans or subject matter experts uh, within the organizations are taking the outputs of the AI system and really making sure that everything is supervised well. So this is how we have always operated because we just didn't ever think that selling an AI platform that is uncontrollable is a good business strategy. So we think that these regulations are really a must-have, especially in the enterprise world. Um, yeah. And so from our standpoint, we feel like this has just been a very strong validation of our uh, strategy. I would just add, it was a big part of our call our investment committee process um, or conversations at the board level at, at the SPAC around AI. And, and when the whole chat GPT uh, generative AI fervor happened was we didn't want to target a business that was trying to figure out its use case and figure out its ROI to the customer. A lot of these businesses, which are getting high values, are burning tons of cash. And I think they're meandering around, still trying to find their way and their cadence per se, where iLearning had figured that out. And it's proven from its growth quarter over quarter and the profitability and metrics quarter over quarter. Um, At the same time, we were also looking at the regulatory risk of it all. 
And I think there still is deep regulatory risk in a lot of these AI plays. But I think that's that, that's taken away here by learning by using their proprietary data sets and using the data within the organization to have the machine learn over time, um, including the activities of the quote unquote experts at the enterprise to help learn the machine, which Karish could get into. And so we thought those were t- both taken away. And there's frankly not many companies in the AI space that have both those boxes checked. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to add one thing to what Matt said. You know, I think the discipline that we use in building, focusing on not just revenue growth, but also profit, I think has naturally extended into our approach to AI in itself. We see a lot lot of players in the, in the AI space, and this has generally been a, an area of focus. You know, if your AI is a perfect system, the market is infinite. Uh, but if your AI is even 90% right, the market is zero. That's kind of how most people have looked at it. For us, that discipline to be focused and profitable always meant identifying opportunities where companies can use AI in the most risk-free way. And so if you go back to our track, you know, we've been selling AI systems way, you know, for over five years. And really during those days, we had to pick areas inside an organization that are mission critical, but also something that they are more likely to invest in. And I think that is really where our first focus was on the area of learning, uh, because that's an area where you can really improve the way organizations can perform learning functions and then slowly adding more work functions. So I think really all all of these things I feel are interrelated, you know, being able to have a very supervised approach to AI, making sure that you can focus on good business discipline. I think sometimes we tend to think of them as two independent things, but I think they're all really related. Yeah. And sorry to pile on even more here, but for everything Harish said, Arrowroot doesn't perceive iLearning, obviously it's of scale, but profitable as venture capital risk, where I think there are tons of AI companies that are worth billions of dollars that have VC risk, have binary outcome risk here. And that's something at the SPAC that we did not want to take on. And that was from the start. Right. And then are your AI models primarily text-based or data-based? And do you have any image-based tools as well? So without getting too specific, I think what I would say is the kind of data that we use to train our AI models are highly specialized. So, you know, there's a lot of data out there in terms of how people travel, spend, entertain, etc. But the kind of data that we use are how people engage with their learning content or their work. Uh, related function. So for example, how are safety folks inside an enterprise engaging with safety-related content, safety-related work functions? How are folks in the finance world engaging with their kind of content and work? Or if you're in the education vertical, how are high schoolers engaging engaging with math, science, or literature kind of content? So very uh, specialized uh, data sets around really how people are engaged with various functions. And so the content that we have and what our system does is we can support content from our PDF, video, images, etc. But the core of this is also those data around how people engage. And it goes to the the add-on acquisition strategy and and potentially acquiring other software companies, software and services companies that have a lot of interactions. That so not just content, but interactions with outcomes, because we could utilize our technology as the the backbone and pinning for AI solutions, absorbing all of the interactions and content that other software companies might absorb. And you know, I think just to kind of close the loop on this, we think these specialized data sets are a very strong competitive moat. You know, this is an area of interest for not only startups but also very large companies. And I think 
one of the key things is the kind of data set that we have been acquiring are highly specialized. These are not very readily uh, available, and we think this gives us very strong competitive modes uh, going forward. Well, great. Well, that, I think that moves us naturally to, you know, we've talked about, you know, some of the things you're going to be able to do on the other end of this deal with M&A and, and what you built so far. But going back to the kind of the, the here and now moment of it and the, and the timing, what were some of the things that made you decide that, that now was the right time for iLearning to take this step, both to go public and to do it through a SPAC? From our standpoint, we feel like we are an enterprise technology company at scale. We've from our standpoint, we feel like we have very strong competitive advantages. We think the market right now is very aligned with our strategy, with tremendous opportunities ahead. So we felt like going public was the next natural step. Because we had raised smaller amounts of equity, we felt that having Arrowroot and SPAC and the, and the broader backing of the private equity company behind this would be very helpful for us post going public. Their strong back understanding in uh, enterprise software, understanding of uh, and track record at uh, M&A, making sure that we have the right systems in place. Uh, we think those are all really critical for us. So going public was a very natural step in our evolution. But we also want to make sure that when we are going public, we're not making any missteps that we're doing it really right, that we have all the right pieces, both operationally, but also strategically from an advisory standpoint. And so for us, this was a very natural decision to make uh, working with the Arrowroot team. And we've been working closely together now for over a year. And so we really got to see how well we can work together. Great. And I'm interested in your valuation process as well, Matt. You know, the, this deal is struck at 3.3 times the company's expected 2023 revenue. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of even more you know, diversified software companies that are not pure play AI and maybe don't have some of those same dynamics out there, you know, trading higher, sometimes several times higher. So, you know, what did you see as the advantage for shooting at this particular price point and how it's going to sit in the market? Yeah, I think the key theme overall when looking at the valuation was a successful transaction and long-term view of it on both from Harishan and iLearning and, and from the Arrowroot standpoint. We wanted this to be successful and we believed, really Harish and team believed that being a public company from a long-term perspective, growing into a $10 billion plus business was the right move. And, and as we look at the valuation, there's we did an analysis recently of public software companies not just AI businesses, with the metrics that iLearning has. And, and there's something around 2,400 software companies out there. And if you whittle it down in terms of there's, you know, this is over a $400 million business. It's growing over 30%. It's got the 115% plus net retention and it's profitable. And if you whittle all of it down, how many companies are trading below four times? The answer is zero. And so we're, we're pretty confident that this is a good transaction, a good deal. And frankly, I think if iLearning was owned by a private equity firm or a VC firm, they'd be looking at this way more transactional, which I think a lot of SPACs do in these and aren't looking what's best for the company from a long-term perspective. And Harish has, he's the controlling, he's the founder, and, and he has the control to do that and take that long-term approach. So we think it's a great deal for all those reasons, and it's going to be a great public company. Well, that's really well said, Matt. You know, from my perspective, going public, this is a very long-term decision and it's not a decision that we think is a short-term or transactional. So how do we structure something that will provide success to the company over the longer term is really the key and to our investors. And we felt like it was really important for us to price this thing in a way where people who are coming in here will also feel like this is a very fair trade. And these are people who will continue to be people we can go to in the future as a public company. And so I think the decisions that we make as a company 
having raised less than two million in equity and are looking at purely a very much a long-term horizon is obviously very different than decisions that a company would make that's been backed by institutional investors who deployed hundreds of millions of dollars and are in that liquid asset for five, 10 years. So I think this is just a very different strategic decision that we have to make. Going public for us is very different than going public for many of those companies. And you've also set out to raise at least $100 million in capital for this deal, some of which will come from Arrowroots Trust. So how are those funding efforts going? Yeah, it's it's, it's going well. We're engaged. I mean, there, there's various ways to to raise the capital. We're I'll just leave it at we're highly confident that we're going to get something done. Can't get into too much detail here. It should be noted that the minimum cash of raising that 100, it's not needed. It's a profitable business, right? This is to do M&A and, and to be on the offensive here. And, and we're quite, quite confident it'll get done. Great. And that's actually kind of what I wanted to ask about you know, next, Habish, is that, you know, given the, the, the profitability, just, you know, how have you guys thought about how you plan on allocating that capital, given the fact that once you're a public company, some of these M&A transactions could be done with shares? And just, you know, how would you like to ideally structure some of those transactions once you, you know, kind of get running with it? Right. So I think from our standpoint, I think you're absolutely right, Nick. One of the big drivers to go public is really, we feel like it can really facilitate a strong M&A strategy here. I think on the back of a, a public stock a currency plus cash, the combination of cash plus stock, I think would be a really good sweet spot. Like I said, we're, we're in 12 industry verticals. So it gives us an opportunity here to make acquisitions in vertical specific areas. It could be in products, software companies. There are lots of companies in the 5 to 25 million revenue range that are really looking for homes. A lot of companies that have good product technologies too. So I think it's a combination, but we think being public and having a combination of stock plus some cash will allow us to get maximum value out of these transactions. That's why we feel like raising this capital is really good for us. I would add that it goes to being public and having public shares plus having some cash on the balance sheet. This company has been run so efficiently and it's grown so fast that we are helping. So Arrowroot is helping Harish and team with recruiting and hiring. We have an internal recruiting team for our portfolio and we've already hired some quite pedigreed professionals and experienced professionals. That's going to continue. So I'm sure you will see more of that. And that's just a function of, of being larger. Frankly, we'll, we're going to have that currency and, and that cash to, to keep going and make sure that the, the right team is around Harish. Great. I'm curious to hear what's the most exciting thing that you see coming now in your space in terms of the new capabilities of your technology. I've always been in the tech world, and I think our focus has always been on making sure that we have really cutting edge products. And so, you know, we have one of the deepest product and technology uh, roadmaps. Uh, you know, we've always really believed in the power of AI and what it can do for enterprises, both in terms of enhancing the capabilities of their human capital, but also and their uh, business performance. So there's a whole slew of products. I think for us, what really excites us is building new technologies and making sure that those technologies have a great home in the market. You know, and I think for us, we've been in 12 verticals so far, and the idea of adding new capabilities within these verticals, but can also add new verticals is really exciting. The impact, the more you, you see at a very high level, the way I, uh, I say it, there are where AI can really make a difference is, you know, we think there's a tremendous opportunity for AI to do to uh, traditional brick and mortar industries what going online did for retailers. So having AI power education institutions, AI power health systems, those are really exciting things. We think there's also 
a great opportunity here to bring in capabilities around AR, VR into making sure that that can be used to train employees better. So I think there's a whole slew of uh, exciting areas. Generative AI is another very exciting area that's out there. But I think for us as a company at scale, and, and you know what we really enjoy is making sure that we have cutting edge products and those products have a great home. So I think that's kind of what has really uh, excited us. Yeah, I would add that as we look at it, this is a broad platform. And when cloud started, there was the service nows and the work days of the world really creating the cloud infrastructure. Maybe people didn't recognize in the beginning, but over time, that's what occurred. And Airroot looks at iLearning as really building the AI infrastructure. And there's only a couple of players really doing that. With It's very um, exciting, but it's also challenging. What I said prior, it's like drinking from a fire hose. And, and what, what, what do you do? What use cases? What do you acquire? Because it is so broad and, and there's so much inbound activity. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that is a challenge. It's a blessing and a curse, right? To summarize what uh, uh, Matt said, you know, I think we are at a point in the AI industry. And really, if you think about the market trends, we think the sheer excitement in the AI industry is going to create a new class of companies, much like what the cloud computing and SaaS did a few years ago. And I think the opportunity for us to be the next Salesforce or ServiceNow is something that we think that's exciting. So I think while AI products and other things can be exciting, we do think that the opportunity for us as a company that's ahead is even more exciting for us.